Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I will be your host today. I am here with Ram Charan. Ram, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I'm honored to be with you. My exposure in real estate is my Harvard roommate, who with $130,000 has now a half a billion dollar portfolio, all residential. He taught me the value of cash in real estate, how he buys it, what he does with it, where he takes it. And it's incredible how that he's able to do that. Wow. Coming out the gates hot. So you said he starts. He started with 130000 And what's Period. his portfolio at now? Half a billion. Half a billion. 500 I'll million take plus. You. I'll take you yeah. as a strategy. He let me tell you guys how he did it. Yeah, amazing. And I love your focus on strategy and, you know, disruptive types of strategies that are honestly just telling the truth about what business is today, not being stuck in the old norms. So, you know, why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about, you know, who you are and where you're from and we'll kick it off. Right on. So I am from India, 36 miles from New Delhi. My childhood was in my shoe shop of my father and my uncle and my brothers, a shop 20 feet long, 10 foot wide, where I learned the basic principles of business money-making and cash, cash, cash. We could not go and buy shoes on a monthly basis from wholesale. We went weekly basis. So the merchandise was fresh and we can turn the cash over. So our cash turnover was 50 times whereas people have three or four times. We learned that at the age of 10. And then I went to engineering college in India, MIT. And then I went to Australia four years full time in one of the largest companies. And they thought I should go into business management. So I went to Harvard, did MBA, doctorate, taught on the faculty. And in 1977, I went full time consulting teacher across the globe. In 1998, I wrote my first book, Now, I have done 32 books. My mission in life is to produce something that practitioners can use Monday morning. That's what I do. Very impressive journey. And Mm -hmm. today you're calling in from Dallas, Texas. That's where he finds himself today. And I really appreciate you taking a couple minutes and, you know, spending it with us. So, you know, when it comes to the current business climate, one of the concepts that you talk about is needing a money-making model not a business model. And I would love for you to dive into an example of that for our listeners. Number one, Jeffrey, the largest population of business people is the street vendor. Okay. One person shop. They buy in the morning, they decide the price. They know exactly what is selling, how much cash. At the afternoon, the food begins to go rotten. They cut the price. They have the cash. That's money making. They don't have any training. They do that. So money-making means that what is your customer? Work backwards. You buy something for $9, you sell for 10 your gross margin is 10%. 
What has happened since 1997, when Jeff Bezos started the Amazon, he put the 100-year-old tools of machine learning, of algorithms, of software together, and you can reach ton of people across the globe, crossing the boundaries, make things simpler, easier, and cheaper. It started with the product called books. Then one more, then one more, then one more, then one more. So people call business model because they got MBA education. But the money making is a common language. If you see my fingers, everywhere I go in the world, they do that. No matter who you are. Yeah. So money making means that you focus on the customer, what you need, what you buy for, what you pay for is gross margin, and then say from that hard cash. How do you spend the money to have something for the bottom line? And then you watch in the parlance of the real estate and so on, your balance sheet. Most of the people have not learned the use of balance sheet. Balance sheet, P&L, profit loss, and cash flow. These three things must be analyzed and learned together. They need to be simplified. Why? Because the accounting conventions have created a lot of discretion, a lot of confusion. Mr. Bezos manages his company on the cash per share basis. Everything is simplified. It's very clear. And then you say where the cash is going, where the cash is coming. Fancy phrase, capital allocation. So we have made these things too complicated. Let's get to the basics. And in real estate, if you're not public, you do all this on the cash basis. Even the public companies still use the cash basis sinking, which is a good news. But many of them have not, and they have gone belly up over the years. And therefore, this idea is money okay. making. Mm. So you're referring to simplification and the the focus on the cash and the transaction with the customer. I've traveled the world. I've lived in Bali. And when you go to street markets there, like you described, everyone's bartering. And like you mentioned, by the end of the day, slashing prices because they want to liquidate their, their inventory for that day. And so your relation back to real estate is what exactly, right? H how can that be applied to uh, either real estate or, or I guess business in general? Yeah. So I take you to my roommate thing who took from $130,000 to half a billion portfolio. Perfect. Very simple way. First, he buys something and he sees that after paying all the mortgage payments and all those expenses, how much cash is left? Very simple. Now, as he moves forward, he now starts doing a couple of things. Number one, when he bought a property as a part of a strategy, they were usually 80% occupied. Take to 95, 96. You go to hustle, you go to market locally, you got to go to the neighborhood. You get the best people you should get there for service to the people. One of the taglines he had with me, people love living here. Word of mouth. So his occupancy always has remained 98, 99%. So you get better rents for that. Second, he began to focus on the cost the water, the heat, the energy. Invest money in updating the apartments. Total, total. And this way, the formula in real estate and apartments is that 
if you have a 25-year mortgage loan and you are able to support your cash by paying mortgage and expenses, in 25 years, you have no debt, no loan. Mm-hmm. And the value of the property has gone up many, many times. So you then mortgage that again for another one, for another one. But discipline of serving the customer, reducing the consumption of energy, and now it will be more on the emissions and providing that service to the people and keeping the building, the apartments really up to date. You create a huge value. It is one of the best way in America that you can create wealth. This was yep. solely focusing on rental apartments. Very focused strategy. And now you're speaking my language. So I am a commercial agent that focuses primarily on multifamily. And for the most part, I will generate opportunities from different lead generation sources. And then from that, I will partner with other brokers and refer them out. But that is right down my alley when you're talking about looking at a property and what's the current rent rate, you know, what are they currently making, but what could it be if we were to improve it? And one of the biggest principles there also looking at renovations and improvements is cutting expenses. Where are there inefficiencies where we could be streamlining? So exactly. Is that what you're referring exactly. to? Yeah. An- and okay. you should talk to my roommate. His name is John Joyce. I'll send you his email. Yeah, he is looking for to. those properties all the time. He will tell you all his properties he have. Fantastic job. And Amazing. he's very patient. If he doesn't find the right one, he will wait for years. Yeah. No, it's just smart. It's just smart. The you know, great deals can only come a, come across once every couple of years in a lot of cases, like really, truly amazing deals. So that's smart. And when you have that criteria down where you know exactly what you're looking for, you know, there's there's no need to rush it. So with that, I, I want to ask you a question about mm-hmm. you know imagination. You know, why is why is imagination such an important skill for competing nowadays? Myself, I'm very creative and I love this this uh, question because it focuses on the creative aspects of business, which a lot of, a lot of people in the business world overlook. And, you know, right now I'm offering innovation consulting for, for a couple different businesses and we're using copywriting and different creative ways to improve their metrics. So I'm really curious to hear your answer on this. You know, how does imagination play a role? Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey, one of the distinguishing thing about human beings that we can imagine. Now, what are the sources that increases your imagination? Steve Jobs was very famous for that. So you invest time to observe other things, notice other things, travel. He used to go to Vatican. He, he used to go to Tiffany's. He said, why can't we do computers that way? So knowledge, but the most important part is curiosity, is searching. So one day I was coming down in the elevator in Hyatt Regency in New Orleans from the 40th floor. And on my left was the former CEO, Jack Welch, entered on the 34th floor. He knows me. I know him. He's a little shorter. And I said, good morning, Jack. No answer. Good morning, Jack. No answer. And then he begins to look at me like this, and he says, what's new? Those three words, what's new? So imagination is to see what 
is new. It may be impossible. Impossible to you is possible to somebody else. And that helps you then the second part of creativity. The most effective one is you are able to see the latest something new and your brain is geared, my brain is geared in connecting those things to create something new. That's creativity. Mm. Very interesting. Today, today, we're using algorithms, machine learning, to alter materials. We're using these tools to alter biology. We now have collagen, a heart wall that I've personally seen that has been made, that is being used as a proxy to test drugs. That is imagination. That's creativity. I'll give you one. When I was at Harvard Business School, a very famous real estate guy came and he made a lecture, which is normal. We do that there. So he posed a question to the students. Here is a property in New York. One guy is bidding $6 million. And two days later, another guy came build a bid $20 million. $20 million. He said, how could that be? And that was a great question. So one of my friends stood up and he says, this name was Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg. He said, sir, the, the, the $6 million guy is going to build something on it. Is that right? He said, oh, $20 million guy is going to use this for the tower for broadcasting. For him, it's more valuable. That's imagination. That's creativity. In real estate, is hugely important that how do you see so right now, Jeffrey, you wouldn't believe this. It's true. The hottest market in real estate is warehouses. Mm, interesting. Amazon is going to have this year 62 million square foot of warehouses in the world. The largest investor in warehouses is Blackstone, almost yep. 18 billion. In India, it's Adani Group. This is all automated. It's different. You have one mile, last mile delivery. It is the hottest thing in the real estate in the world. It has fantastic return. It's digitized. It's part of logistics. It's part of last mile delivery. There is innovation in real estate business. Absolutely. And talking about innovation, I, I want to touch on you know one of your books where you talk about the rethinking the competitive advantage. Yes, this is the recent one came in last month. Go for it. You wrote the book on it. Yeah. So the key part about competitive advantage is that you always start with the customer and work backwards. Why does he prefer us? Why does he prefer somebody else? Now, rethinking part is the old rules when we had no digitization, no speed, no change. Today, is digitization. You have information at your tips, information at your cell phone on the edge, they call it. So your database, use it, build that, connect with them. You create now total visual of a particular property. You don't have to go and visit the property per se. You can show that. I saw that in China, a real estate company. Everything digitized, especially the homes they were they were the broker for selling homes. They show that they can see in reality. It's happening now. It's very, very old phenomena. So the competitive advantage starts with the customer. 
So you build a big network in real estate. That network can be global. We do that in the automobiles today. And so with that, the data, and massage the data, use the algorithm, and find things, properties, that meet the criteria of your client. But now you have to search clients through the data. The Google Maps and all that gives you that. So I consult with a real estate firm in China, very large. And these people showed all the basic maps, which particular plot of land they want to buy before somebody else gets there. It's all shown to me in less than three minutes, four minutes on the iPad. And then they show me how they're going to get that land in the six moves to get there. That's a competitive advantage. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. And when it comes to technology and real estate and you know competitive advantage, it's easy to get lost thinking about competing with these giants like Zillow as you know maybe an individual agent. You're thinking about this behemoth that's generating billions of dollars of revenue and you know has massive eyeball uh, market share as far as you know consumers go there first when they're looking to either buy or sell a home. And so you're an advisor to some of the world's top CEOs. You know how worried are they about competing with digital giants and and what's their best hope? Yeah, the key point here is that digital giants don't cover the whole waterfront. There are niches that we need to find. Second, we're now getting people collaborating together against the giants because the giants are very good in using technology. But some of these businesses require technology and personal touch. That is different. So you take a Walmart, they're using the stores as the pickup points and there is a touch point and there's a technology technology is commoditized it's easily available so there's nothing wrong and i've told some of the cooperatives in america that get number of few competitors together for technology but make your data proprietary and focus on the customer so you don't incur high fixed costs of the technology Plus, now we have people like Google, even Amazon, Microsoft, are providing technology to on a variable cost basis, user basis. And so you do that. But create a machine that is very low cost, very reliable, and can collect data, massage the data, and your data is bifurcated for proprietary reasons. And now use that for the customer marketing networks. You got the scale effect. What was that last thing you said? You get this way, scale effect. Scale effect. And when because your, to... your, your machine is going to right. be used by a lot of people. It's a scale effect. Now you start your own customer, your network, join other network outside your territory and create a scale effect. Mm. So just like in vaccines, Jeffrey, we saw worldwide collaboration. Why not in real estate? And capture the customer. Those who capture the customers will be winners. Those who will differentiate through touch and technology will be winners. Yes, I agree with that. So my marketing agency four years ago was one of the pioneers with <clears throat> chat marketing in the real estate space using artificial intelligence, real estate chatbots 
to help qualify leads and nurture them and follow up. And, you know, my vision was to have hundreds of clients that had thousands of conversations going on with both buyers and sellers going through their journey and it would all train one server so that over time that data that that we own as a company would be able to help every single user on the platform and i can say that now 4 years later you know that vision is becoming a reality and it's right in line with what you're saying of owning your data but strategically creating some kind of network so that it's not only on you to gather that data you can partner brilliant. with brilliant with others yeah but you could move now on a global basis in the niches vacated by blackstone into warehousing because that need is exponential mm. in the world build that machine in yours you can go across right from here from huntington beach all the way to the world right and that's very interesting the the niche of warehousing and how hot it makes complete sense i mean amazon's always talking about expanding you know building new warehouses someone has to sell on that land to do that grand up ground up development so you got it it, it makes give sense the information. you got it it's not over it's beginning yeah 2021 is 62 million square feet it's a public number yeah do you and do you know any projections you can see that i can tell you he's roughly now around 450 billion in sales right i give you in writing and i hope i'm alive and you call me back it will be a trillion in 5 years wow so that would also mean probably double the amount of warehouse space right more than double double the triple yeah so you make a note and you come back to me i was wrong or right <laughs> sounds good and you know when it comes to books that you've read so you've written was it 23 or 33 32 32 okay i, I did not write anything until i was 58 amazing a testament to those out there so i'm writing a book this year very excited so you've written 32 but what about ones that you've read you know do you have some books that you've read that have greatly influenced your life and career oh yes oh yes you see most people in my profession know peter drucker of course the godfather of yeah. the uh the kind of like the corporate structure he talks about marketing and innovation being like the only things you need in business okay now so i began to read that in 1960 mhm i was an engineering assistant somebody gave it to me says writings are down to earth they are very practical lot of wisdom and so that influenced me a lot and the second one was a book human side of enterprise by douglas mcgregor from mit that was the first time that something came out that people matter in those otherwise numbers and hierarchy and often people were abusing class system you are a blue worker you are a white worker you are a manager mm-hmm. you are an executive you are an owner those were the two authors then there are books all kinds of books they wrote very nicely and the best one that i always looked at is the practice of management and then i wrote my own book the know how for general managers that's where the inspiration came for me and it's not a copy of peter but it was a foundation for me to think what people need now absolutely you know to 
create content for the next generation, we need to stand on the exactly. shoulders of giants. Giants. That was relevant. It. Yep. That's what it is. Most of my learning is from the CEOs. Not, not a day go by, I will not talk to a CEO somewhere in the world. I want to see what's their pain point, what are they working on. If you keep their trust, you learn a lot. I learned a lot from Jack Welch, Larry Bassley, my co-author, A.G. Leffley, co-author of Procter & Gamble. So every day is a learning day for us if we are humble to do that. Absolutely. And with that being said, do you have any process, behavior, or habit in the last five years that has drastically improved your life? Oh, yes. This is go back for a long time, begin the early days. I always note any learning I have every you day. write it down? Absolutely. Okay. You see, when I was at a school, at high school, you know what I mean? High school, the early days. So I had a shoe shop and I love business. So I go to school and sometimes I've been thrown out of the school because I had no books. I sent it, they sat at the back of total back and take verbatim notes and come to the shoe shop and crystallize each lecture in one page. Today, I go to a CEO with one page. Critical. When I was at Harvard, there were three cases. You had to prepare long cases. So I go prepare to the class to discuss one page. So I'll tell you a story around 1978. I was asked at at t to produce a one-month program for executives. So the, my sponsors were three levels below this, four levels below the CEO. They took me to the number two guy. And they presented, nice job. And so this number two guy said to the, to the presenter who was an executive, he says, can you put all this in one page? So I said, sir, I took a page out of my satchel, gave it to him, so sir, it's in one page. He read it. He said, approved, go and do it. It's a skill. That's awesome. I, I like that concept. So the concept of distilling down to one page is something from a training that I am reconsuming right now. It's called the Almighty Encounter. And it's the encounter of the editor of Success Magazine at the time with a you know multi-billionaire. He's a centenarian mm -hmm. at the time. And the editor of Success Magazine asks mm -hmm. him to distill down all of his best practices throughout his life. And mm -hmm. there you go. And, and you know, put it into however many pages it takes. And, you know, the editor of Success, Success Magazine shows up and he's expecting a manuscript, mm -hmm. but it's one page. Yep. And only, only two thirds of the page is, is printed on. There you go. And that concept of being concise using brevity, but being able yeah. to then ex extract the story and the lesson from that yeah. page, from yeah. each line. Yeah, Jeffrey, you know this. They do that in the Hollywood. They do in India and Bollywood. <laughs> you got to tell the essence clearly, simply, in about 100 words or less. Elevator mm. speech, a common thing known. And say you get to the real germ, real seed. So when I was teaching in Northwest and my class, I required that. And I personally graded each of them. I get letters today. People say, that's the best thing we ever did. Yeah, such an interesting concept. And really that review process of, of learning something and not just letting it go in one ear, not the other. Taking the time to review and crystallize it. I like how you, how you put that. That's 
key and it's something that you said you've been doing your whole life since since high school. I have been doing that and I believe it has helped me. That's my belief. I can see that. Absolutely. So when you're considering different opportunities in light of, you know, the cost of, of those opportunities in time or energy, you know, or maybe a, even a monetary investment, what's your process for evaluating what to say no to? Yeah, the first part, clearly, is there learning in it. Mm. I may be wrong in judgment, but the criteria is there learning in it. Well, that is probably the best answer I've heard to that question so far. Because at the end of the day, that's really what life's about is moving You see, when learning. I teach at Wharton, which I give classes, Wharton in Siad, I open the class. These are executives. You wouldn't be here if you were not growing. Now you are here. How would you double your capability every three years? If you don't, you won't be here. Mm. That's how I open the class. And I'm dealing with these executives. They're not young students. And I'm, in a respectful way, very tough. We'll delegate, baloney. What would you do with your spare time then if you delegate? <laughs> I love delegation. Do that. And they give a lot of, you know, puffery. I said, that's not because, I said, okay, what's your industry? Tell me. And I get them to help each other. No insult. I said, okay, here's your coach. Tell him everything. Who's a peer? And he takes them apart. And the whole class laughs. They say, yeah, that's right. I need a peer to do that to me. <laughs> Why CEOs go off the rails? And they do. I wrote that front page, cover page fortune in 1997. Why CEOs fail? Why boards fail? There were cover, cover stories in the fortune. Because and the learning has stopped. Oof. Powerful. Very powerful. And a testament to the need for advice and consulting and training at that level, even at the highest level of top CEOs. And, and sounding board. Yes. You see, very the important. job of a CEO is now very complex. And CEOs the last one to know what is happening at the bottom of the company. Right. It filters. But it needs to be quick to make decisions that affect everyone from the top to the bottom of the company. So when it comes to quick decision-making, you know, some decisions, Jeffrey, some decisions quickly, some require a lot of vetting because the facts are not clear in the fake news environment. Right. So they, these are the balancing thing you go through. And the CEOs know that, that they have to make decisions they have never made before. Very true, especially in an environment like this. Not only in the transformational digital age that we're in, but also COVID-19 and work from home. More than and that. all of the curveballs in the last 18 months that have been thrown at businesses. Yeah, China, America, tension. Yep. The chips are not available today. Ford plants are closed, some of them. Largest part of chips are shipped from Taiwan. Think about that. Very interesting. So complexity is high. And you need somebody as a sounding board. You need to learn every single day in some way. And this is what we call humility. Mm. And learning can be done with a fresh graduate. So we have had in the companies now where we get the youngest graduated person to come and coach the CEO on certain tools. I don't mean fix up your iPad. 
because the newest technologies, PhDs, I have some with my CEOs where I've recommended they get a PhD in biology to come and teach them. I am now a company where the top management goes to MIT one day full month, one full day per month. Total team. The idea, I don't have time to do it is a baloney. Job of executive is prioritization of time. Those who tell me that, I don't tell them that unless they ask. I said, that's mental laziness. It really is. And busyness, I heard this yesterday, is an excuse to avoid the important and uncomfortable. Particularly the uncomfortable. Yes. Is it sometimes you watch that you came back from lunch and you have five messages to respond to. And you watch which one they respond first. The familiar, the comfortable one. Mm -hmm. Very few do the difficult, embarrassing, uncomfortable one. Right. Hey, do you have any quotes that you live by? No, I don't think so. I create quotes uh, when I work with the CEOs. I say, look, anybody who really directly connected with the customer will control the money making. Great. Quote. It's a universal truth. I didn't invent it. Right. So there's no way I'm going to tell you it's my creation. No way. But it's real. You can see it. So the people say, I'm going to merge with so-and-so. Yeah. It will give me so much scale. Yeah. It will save me a cost. Yeah. Who controls the customer? The other guy. You're out. <laughs> One of the things that I admire about you is your ability to observe and document the world. You know, you, you have this seemingly somewhat objective ability to look at business processes or trends and put them into words. And yeah, the you know, key that, point there is, Jeffrey, is this, the observing part, all human beings can do if you get training. Photographer is an observer. Give them a lousy camera, you get a fantastic stuff. You get a lousy observer, give them a great camera, you know what comes out. But they can be trained. Right. So one day I was working with the chairman of DuPont in the 90s. He liked to go to Starbucks. So I go with him. He's the chairman, lean and thin fellow. So they're an excellent, excellent human being. Never use the four-letter word. And the people deferred to him. He will not. He stay in the line. He and I talk. We go to the counter, we pick up our coffee. He motions me to see where the food is displayed. He said, what do you see? I said, Ed, I don't see much. He said, look at how lousily this food is displayed. That's observation. We must observe. We must uh, notice. Brain has unlimited capacity. Let there be no doubt in anybody's mind. And the brain can change. It has been shown medically and physically. Brain damage has been recovered, but we need to have our prioritization, our drive, our determination, and focus. I mean, even scientists know this, right? The scientific method, first step is observe. That propose is a it. Question. You propose yep. a question. And then after the, you know, the research and the test and the analysis, it comes back to observing again. Yeah, so the, the Nobel Prize winners have a characteristic to observe the anomaly. How thin that might be, and then they focus and say, is this a big one? A Nobel Prize winning in all disciplines is something that will make a difference, something that's new. And they have the eye to pick an area, as Mark Twain used to say, a road not traveled. Right. Very interesting. So 
tying this back to real estate, do you feel that a way that real estate professionals today can separate themselves from everyone else out there is by utilizing this observational and innovational approach to their business. And using data and creating consortiums or ecosystems, get a scale. Why don't you elaborate on that? The data and yeah. the, the e ecosystems. Yeah. yeah, the key point is that you got to know the conditions and the conditions are reflected through data. Your data, data from Google, data from the sky today, from the satellites. The company in China showed me with the algorithms that this is the plot we want in the middle of nowhere. Why do you want? There's an imagination what's going to come. What's the trend? And they want to build a totally new concept. By the way, this company produced 10,000 apartments a year. Think about the scale. Wow. So use a technology to double, triple, quadruple your capacity of the mind. And if you have the right kind of networks with the financiers and you have execution discipline, you're golden in real estate. Hmm. You will have a lot of satisfaction, but not go out of your way and have those apartment buildings, owners getting bust because their debt is so high, they're maximizing it. They don't see the value creation on the long-term basis, just the way my roommate has done. I'm absolutely literally telling you, $130,000 in cash. December 1978, and he's loaded with cash. So you could see that, and if he had been more, increased more and all that, who knows? But the formula is so clear. This maximizing in the short run in real estate with heavy debt is not a great idea. Mm. Because the mortgage payments you pay over time and the price of the property goes up multiple times unless you have the wrong location. Right. There's a lot to unpack there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to see younger generation will come and find it. You see all these digital disruptors are business people first, techno second. They discovered the business formula. That's why they showed so much cash, so much growth, so fast. Nobody would have hired them in their young age. Would you believe that? <laughs> Steve Jobs was hired. I met his boss. They put him on a 2 a.m. shift out of their mind. Couldn't see him. Apple recruited Scully and Scully played his game and got him fired. Then three CEOs came and the company went almost bankrupt. Were it not for the former chairman of DuPont, this company was dead. He brought Steve Jobs back single-handedly. It's in my book, Boards That Lead, first chapter, all the details, what he did. It was considered by Fortune one of the 10 best decisions of the board of the century. Mm. And talking about Steve Jobs and what you mentioned earlier about listening to what your customer wants, the interesting thing about Steve Jobs in the way that he talks about features and benefits of a new product during his keynotes is <laughs> that he shows that they have listened to feedback and done extensive research on what you no. care about. No, no. He was very, very down towards imagining what the customer will want. And it starts with the pain points of the customer. Right. Observes, including his own. What other people don't know, some of them don't know anyway. He was fully familiar with what are some of the old technology and what they could do. 
So one day in one of the places in New York where the CEOs get together, there were about 20 of them. There was a round table, five of them. I'd gone to make a presentation, so they let me sit at the table. And there was a 15-minute break. So lean and thin fellow said, CEO, to the other, so let me tell you a story. And they all perked up. And so my ears were double perked up because this is a learning session. You don't get those things. It's informal. It's among the buddies. So he says, one day Steve Jobs called him to see him. Ithaca, Ithaca, New York. He came down with his plane. That's corning glass. He said, Windle, I want that glass. And Windle says, we shut the factory in 1976. He said, Windle, open it. He said, how long does it take? Two years. And I wanted six months. I'll give you a check. This is the glass you have on the iPad, on your cell phone. Tim Cook just gave $45 million again more than before. He gave, he, he gave them more money before to Corning Glass to do more research. That gentleman today is on the board of Amazon. He knew what technologies could do. He knew the pain points. He imagined what uses can be done. We had a person, Scully came from advertising, but not. In the digital business, the product matters. The product absolutely is key in the digital world. What I was going to say is that he talks about why they created different features or the, uh, the iPad in general. Or the because the consumer will like it. Consumer will want it. So I had consulted Nokia at that time. And the Nokia people kept saying, this is the upper end, higher price. Very good, Steve, do that. We will remain mass market. Well, guess what happened in two years? Two years. People will pay for something that's so useful to increase productivity and elegant at the same time. You see, Apple's margin is close to 40%, gross margin. Nobody else has it. People will pay for it. Why it is so high? Once the people think it's worth it. Second, you need the cash to grow. Experiment, right. fail some. But they have amassed even more cash to go into businesses like healthcare. Apple is probably on the planet the best organized company for database healthcare. When I look at their strategy, I cannot name a second one. Database healthcare. Database. Hmm. Use the devices, collect the data. Today, Jeffrey, you don't need a radiologist to read the x-ray. Apple devices do. They have been approved by FDA. Wow. So people say regulations, baloney. The regulations are such now that people see you can do that. You don't need a human being to do it. And they have shown conclusively the machine gives them better answers and not only faster than human beings do. Wow. It's impressive. One of the things I want to touch on, because you mentioned Steve Jobs being removed from Apple, going over to Next. In that time, Apple expanded and went horizontal with their products. They started to build tons of different products rather than focusing on the one. And when Steve Jobs came back, he stripped away all the extra products and went back to very few focused products. So is there a learning lesson in that? Yes, I will tell you the real story because I know that one. Okay. There was a gentleman named Gil Emilio who was on the board and became CEO. He, lar he came largely from an industrial company, not consumer company. Good man. And 
Ed Woolard, the chairman of DuPont at the time, joined the board. He went on one condition, that he can talk to anybody. And he showed the board company was going bankrupt in 18 months. They didn't know that. And he had Wozniak and others on the board. Now I come to your point. So he got Steve to come on an informal basis first, and he saw that. And Emilio began to go the same way as other people were going in the computers. He got license from Microsoft and so on. So there was no differentiation. So Steve Jobs came in one morning at 10 o'clock, sat down, Ed Woolard there, other directors were there, and he was very respectful. And he said, except for Ed, the rest of you can go. I'll have a new board this afternoon. And then he presented to the board and put 26 products on the wall, took one at a time down, picked four, gave the rationale. And then Willard asked the question, they had a great relationship, son-father relationship. He said, Steve, why four? Steve, why four? He said, that's all I can focus on. <laughs> focus, focus, focus. He fired most of the engineers. He discovered John Ive, kept him, you know what he did. He had his own headhunter. No, own recruiter, not the company recruiter. Right. even though company paid for them, because he wanted different kind of people. In his interviews, he'll interview the guy, what have you done, what have you done, what have you done, and trash him, then take a break and come back, I want to hire you. Hmm. It's testing imagination, testing how he takes disappointments, testing how well he listens to what was he doing. You cannot fool him. There's no need to do that, because he needs people who will think differently, think advanced, think imaginatively, and live with disappointments. Because he may require 20,000 iterations. The story habit about Jeff Bezos, when the team brought Alexa in front of him, it took three seconds to respond. He said, no, I want one second, go back. It took a year. That was a competitive advantage. If you have three seconds, somebody will get one second and you're out. Right. We, you, you and I will not have a patience to wait for three seconds. We can't even see the picture frame waiting one second anymore. So these people understand the consumer. They make their mistakes. They can be carried away. But they understand consumer. We all can if we get a little training and determination. Why not? Because we are consumers. Jeffrey, give me your email number. Absolutely. It is jeff at steezy.digital. And that's S-T-E-E-Z-Y period D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I'll go ahead and D-I-G-I-T-A-L, digital. Digital, okay, got it. Yeah. S-T-E-E-V-Y dot digital. Uh, I put it in the Zoom chat. Uh, it's actually Z-Y as in zebra. Steezy dot digital, like style with ease. Okay. And Ram, is there anything that I should have asked you or you know anything you'd like to elaborate on from earlier? No, I think you've done a very probing, fantastic interview. Thank you. I want you to continue to do. You're making not just the interviews. You are reforming the real estate business. Thank you. And I uh, am absolutely on that path. That's the goal, to uh, help bring this whole industry into the uh, 21st century and beyond. I'll I tell you one thing, Jeffrey. I'm on the board of a Canadian company called Nexi, N-E-X-I-I. They have a new material that has reduced the carbon by more than 80%. 
They're now producing the Starbucks stores in one third of the time. They're producing wow. the hotels for Marriott. That's real estate. Real estate guys need to see who are building that this is real. It Absolutely. is the sustainability, reducing time, lower cost. So my point there is search for these innovations. Do some Googling to find those. Nobody alone can imagine everything. <laughs> I like that one. That's another good quote. <laughs> so All Nobel Prize winners had a kick, sidekick. All of them. Also a good point. Thank you so much for being on, Ram Charan. Everyone, I know, appreciated this episode for the insight into observation and innovation in the business world today. And thank you so much for you know taking an hour out of your day and spending it with us. Thank you, Jeffrey. Great interview. You probe extremely well. You bring the best out of us. Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, how can listeners contact you if they're interested? Let me tell you that is office, O-F-F-I-C-E, at Charan, C-H-A-R-A-N, and the word continues, A-S for Sally, another S for Sally, O for orange, and C for charlie.com, 972-490-9040. I understand real estate reasonably well. I've done a lot of work in China, and uh, should feel free and go to my website. There will be all kinds of things available to you. And educate and, your younger people how to make money in real estate. Yes. And Ram also has 33 books, 32 books. Sorry. So check those out and I'll link below in the description of the show to the email and phone number he mentioned as well as links to his books. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Appreciate it very much, Jeffrey. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.